0: I once lived to do ministry until ministry broke my heart. Let's talk about it. All right. So this is the inaugural episode, if you will. Uh, Technically it's episode two. We have the introduction episode, but this is the first real episode of this podcast. So I have my buddy Josh here with me. Here I am. That's Josh. So Josh is um if you listen to Crosscast, Josh is who Philip and I referred to as uh my junior worship leader. The troublesome um, one. Yeah, the troublesome one. The cursed child. Um no. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Josh was our, our number three if I was the number two and Philip was the number one. <laughs> so he was third in our progression and glad I'm not number two. Yeah. Well. Middle child syndrome, I'm sorry. Um nobody loves me um, anyways but so wasn't
1: that a Derek Webb song
0: it was a Derek Webb song good <laughs> reference the obscure no Derek God. Webb reference
1: whatever happened to that guy
0: oh he's an atheist now yeah. yeah. so anyway anyways there was a point in time I played his music in worship and offended as many people as I could we might talk about that tonight. Yeah. We
1: might actually talk about well, that. Well, for an altar call, whenever you start singing, I am a whore and a bastard child. Hey, man, the the lyrics had meaning. I know, that song's, so, that song's amazing. Yeah, and
0: then his later al- albums, he started testing the limits. But why aren't we talking about Derek? But anyway, so let's get back into this. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Um, our, our topic is surviving service. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about um, our history and ministry, but then all the things that we went through and all the things and what that did to us, um, as we progressed out. So let me, let me tell my story and then I'll let you tell your story and then we'll, we'll move from there. So I started ministry. I was 15 years old. My parents bought me my first bass guitar. I went to the worship leader and he was like, yeah, you know, come practice with us. And I got there and realized the only thing I knew how to play was Uh, which, if you play guitar, basically, it's it's like sheet music that tells you, you put this finger here um, and play this string. So, <clears throat> um, I got there and I did not know the fretboard. I didn't know chords. And in a two-minute span of time, the bass player at the church taught me bass chords. And when I say taught me, I mean he was looked at me and he said, here's the scale. E, F, F sharp, G, G sharp, A, A sharp, B, C, C sharp, D, D sharp, and you're back to E. And it keeps going. Huh. And I was like, okay. And he's like, run it. Where's your G? I was like, uh, right here. All right, where's your D? Uh, right here. Where's your C? Uh, right here. He's like, good. Those three chords are probably all you're going to need for church music. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so true. But, and I mean, literally two minutes later, we're doing worship practice and I'm following the sheet music and just what he taught me. That quick, um, he taught me bass chords, and from there, I started playing bass with the Wednesday nights and with the uh, Sunday mornings sometimes, and then later on became a worship leader. And then we left that church and we went to what Philip and I called Church Two, mm. and we got to Church Two where I was the worship leader again, and I served as the worship leader with you as my junior worship leader. Yeah. Um, also, you know, coming in and leading worship some nights also until I left there and went into my own ministry for the first time where I was the youth pastor with all titles and credentials. Um, And in between all this, there was lots of little churches we were spending time at that had their own effect, and we'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. um, So from being a youth minister, I served there until um, the pastor and I came to an impasse, which we'll get to in a little bit. And from there, I left ministry... And went to one of those little churches in between everything. Went to there, um, just to participate in worship a little bit, and then got mm, kind of hurt there also, and left the idea of ministry completely. And just you know, I'm I'm no longer doing ministry for now. Okay. So, so that's my story. Yours?
1: Yeah. So I mean, really pretty simple overall. I, I think I mentioned in the uh, previous. My father was a pastor, mother was a worship leader growing up. I mean, from the time that I was eight years old, I was helping in church at some aspect, you know, right. whether it would be setting up chairs or this and that. But um, I was always fascinated with the drums, and I loved watching the drummer in our church. And I mean, I was probably about 11 years old at this time. And I would just be tapping on stuff. And finally, um, after one service, he came up to me and he was like, Hey, and he gave me a pair of drumsticks and he goes, I want to start teaching you drums. You know, you seem to be fascinated with it. You really like it. It seems like you've got some rhythm and he approached you.
0: Yeah. Oh, I always thought that you approached him.
1: No. Wow. No, no. And, um, I mean, it, probably it's good that he approached me because I probably never would have, you know, you know, wouldn't have approached him. But so he taught me how to, how to play. And, um, I had just, I would play in the youth group. I would play in the adult, as we called adult worship, big church and really, really enjoyed it, loved it. And, and I already had kind of a, a foundation for not just the talent of being a musician and this and that, and, and, knowing the beats, knowing how to to understand the feel of a song, all of that kind of jazz. But um, having my heart in the right place, having my mindset and all of of those things. And um, then from there, I started playing guitar. And um, I played guitar for probably about a year or two before I started singing. And... I always thought I had just a terrible voice and wouldn't be able to sing. My mom, who was a, a, a amazing soprano fantastic
0: singer, fantastic singer, yeah,
1: yeah, and um, she would help me a little bit and and was you know training me with vocal exercises and stuff like that. And so, um, let's see, that was okay. Church number one, learning the drums and everything. Church number two, we stepped in with Philip. Um, you were worship leading for a while, then you went off to another youth group church somewhere to be the worship leader. Yeah. And I stepped in and was the worship leader for a while.
0: I'm sorry. No, to be the youth pastor. That's what I was just talking about. Oh yeah. Okay. And you stepped up.
1: Yeah. And then I was there for a couple of years. Um, Philip moved out and then I had, uh, stepped in as the full worship minister. I'm sorry, youth minister. Right. And I was doing both worship leading and, um, youth minister roles. And um, church went into just different directions and I had stepped away from that and um, I left that church very broken hearted and hurt. Um, There was a lot of anger there, but it was, you know, you can relate to this, how close you get to your youth kids, you know, because they're telling you all of these, these details about their life, what they're struggling with. And, you know, you're giving them that encouragement. You're giving them that shoulder to cry on at times.
0: They're giving you the details of their life. Their parents wish they knew. Yeah. That's like, if their parents knew these details, they could parent better. Yeah. But you're kind of
1: sworn to confidence. Yeah. Remember that, you know, for your son. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, you just you you pray and you you shed tears over these kids, just just helping them to keep in line with their walk and to to not just stray away and give up. And um, I left from that youth ministry role um just very hurt because that church in particular was a very traditional Baptist church, and it was all. Things were done to satisfy the old members of the church. The people know? paying tithe. Yeah, exactly. Keeping the money up. And I mean it's I, I was hurt from that. And it wasn't right. like I was mad at, at God or anything. Not not at all. I can't I can't get mad at God because of what people do. And and you know. And that's but,
0: something I struggled with was keeping everything between God and I straight and not
1: blaming him for other you know, basically yeah. for his children absolutely so yeah um but i was just so down on the structure of church you know and what politics will do to it right and at the end of the day I'm just like all of these committee meetings and these board meetings and all of this kind of stuff it's it's just it's like a hierarchy you know it's it's it really upset me and it just ripped me apart to where I left hurt and didn't want to have to deal with that again. Right. You know?
0: And one of the, so let's start here. Let's start with church politics. So I, um, excuse me. I went into do minist- ministry with this very hard ideology in my heart of, we are here to serve God and bring God to the masses and to, be Christ in the world. And all of those stereotypical things, I believed it. Yeah. When I, and let me say that through church one and through church two, when we were just the worship band and when we were under Philip, Philip really, I will give him a lot of credit for this. He was a very solid catch all.
1: He He bared those burdens, you know,
0: right. When somebody was giving me, um, when somebody was giving me flack, or just upset about something that I was doing or that I had done or didn't like the way I said something. I got in trouble one time I was teaching at a chapel service. I was the speaker for the day and I said something to a youth that was in the audience in front of me that was meant to not to be insulting, but the adults in the room took it as insulting as if I was picking on him, which not at all. I mean, yeah. He and I were, you know, he and I were you know, cool. Um, but I worded it the wrong way and they got all kinds of upset. And man, Philip absorbed all of it. So when I got to my church where I'm the youth pastor, I'm the guy who th- there's no, no one over me, but the pastor and then up to probably some kind of church board. Hmm. You know, like there's no one in the youth department over me. There's no catch all. Yeah. And I would say things that were very raw when I, when I, when I speak, because one thing we learned about youth is if you speak to them like adults, they reciprocate.
1: Yeah. Yes, they do.
0: They appreciate the maturity and they respond maturely. Yeah. It's one of the. least used tactics in youth ministry, I believe. But we prove this over and over and over that if you speak to them maturely, they reciprocate. And so that's what I was doing. And I was catching flack because, oh, you know, a parent was up there. One of the youth sponsors was there and they didn't like this word you used or, oh, you referenced sex or whatever. And so I was getting all of this drama and everything. And at the same time, I was going to church board meetings cause I'm expected to be there and I'm meeting with the pastor and I'm going to pastoral lunches and I'm sitting in these lunches. And one of the things that drove me insane at these lunches is these are pastors. Yeah. Let me tell you what I'm looking for in a pastor. When I say a pastor, I expect somebody who their entire world revolves around taking God to the masses yeah. Because that's what your paycheck is Arthuring for. Furthering the gospel. Right. Or something. But we would go to these lunches and I would sit at a table full of pastors who are talking about their churches as if they're uh, like fortune 500 companies mm. and they're the CEO and it's all, oh, we got our people this new um, insurance package. Oh, we got our people this new 401k package. Oh yeah, well, you know, we're looking to expand next year and it's going to up our revenue. And I'm like, the first time I heard a pastor say revenue, not offerings, not tithes said revenue
1: offended. I was, I was, that would have made my skin crawl. I was
0: pissed. Yeah. I had to leave. I was like, I cannot believe you just said revenue because that is business.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's not how a lot church. of them t- treat as, you know.
0: Right. And so I would listen to this, you know, oh, the, the numbers are down. How do we do this? And how do we get the numbers back up? What are y'all doing? What do your numbers look like? You know, how much are y'all bringing in on any given Sunday? What are your averages? Oh yeah, y'all are over average. What are you investing that in?
1: And it just, the business talk drove me insane. And yeah, and we need to get our numbers up. Why? Because if there's more people coming here, there's more chances that there's more money coming in money hitting the place. It has nothing to do with, Hey, let's expose the gospel to more individuals. You know, I I feel you on that. And that
0: offended my spirit because my spirit, I, I came in with this idea of we're doing ministry and my pastor, and I don't want to rag on this guy. I really don't. Um, because it took a lot for God to heal me of everything that happened there. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but my pastor was, um, so much riding my back about um, whether or not I was in the office the right amount of hours and whether or not I was teaching something that was appropriate for the church, you know, because this is a family church, blah, blah, blah. But then he himself would come in at 10 a.m., not 8 a.m. And at 11 a.m. was, I'm going to go check the mail and would leave to the post office and would come back at 2 p.m. after lunch. mm mm-hmm. And then would leave at five. So I'm like, you worked four hours a day, every day, Mm -hmm. every day. Because I started counting when he started giving me mess about not being in the office enough. I started counting. How many hours is he in the office? Four hours a day at best. And then in those four hours, he won't even be in his office most of the time. He's out over here. Oh, I'm going to go walk the grounds and look at whatever. Or he's in his office and he's on Facebook, you know, he's not working on a lesson, you know? So these are things that I didn't feel like he earned his paycheck. Yeah. These are things of like, you're being paid to do ministry. You owe every hour of that workday to God. And you're treating this like you're, again, you're the CEO and nobody can tell you not to. And this is just your retirement plan. Spend your golden years teaching
1: in a church where you can just not, actually work. See, and that's what kind of blows my mind about it because in all the years that I had a hand in doing ministry, I didn't actually get paid until the very last year. And it was very just small and minor. Right. And, you know, I, I never viewed ministry or any kind of church role as I need to get paid. I'm doing this for the money because I'm just like that that just makes me so on guard to just be worrying that much about the money aspect. Of right. It. We're not doing this for the money. This is, I mean, as we all know, Paul was a tent maker. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, Oh, I got to put in my hours so I can get my paycheck, and pay my bills.
0: Yeah. And he wrote, so as not to be a burden to you, I work yep. as a tent builder.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: and so, and l- let me also say that when I went to that church to be a, a youth leader, I was bivocational. So I had a job. I mm-hmm. had a nine to five. And I was only expected to be at the church Wednesday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night times I'm teaching. And that was my contract. And whenever summer came around, the pastor started being like, I think you need to be here on Mondays. You're not ever in your office. And I'm like, well, I'm bivocational. You know, I have another job. I need you to start being in the office. So then fast forward some months later, whenever I finally quit, one of the conversations we had was, and you're not keeping your hours. And I was like, I'm sorry, Pastor, I have no hours outside of three hours on Wednesday night, two hours on Sunday evening, and four hours Sunday morning. Those are the hours by my contract. No, they're not. That was your old contract, this, that, and the other, and he, you know, blah, 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 this, that, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking about asking for your resignation. And I told him it'll be on your desk this afternoon. And I walked down, I went straight to my secretary, and I said, could you bring up my contract, please? Can I get a copy of it? I just want to look over some stuff.
1: I didn't know the whole idea of a contract for a ministry role just is ridiculous. I've never, I didn't know that you, I didn't know that you uh, signed one of those.
0: Yeah. Well, well, so she was in on it. I didn't know she was in on it and we'll get to why we'll get to why she was in on it. But so she brings me my contract. The only one I ever signed. And she goes, well, I can find your old one, but I can't find your new one. And I just kind of laughed. I said, there is no new one. I've only ever signed one contract a year ago. I never signed a second contract about anything. It's the only one there is. And I wrote my resignation, sent it to the pastor. In fact, he told me later, you were very gracious about the way you left. And I told him, I, said, I don't want to make waves. I didn't come here to make waves. I didn't come here to fight. Yeah, I didn't come here to get into pissing matches with you about, you know, what's you know right and wrong and what should and should not be taught in this church. I'm teaching the Bible. If you can't handle the Bible, then you need to reconcile that with God. Because the scripture is very clear that all scripture is God breathed. So if you have a problem with what the Bible says, you need to take that up with the man who breathed it. But, you know, that that wasn't an acceptable answer. And so I submitted my, my resignation and I left. And not to go too far past that, but just right there, all those church politics that I had to endure all the ups and the downs, never mind back of the church that we grew up with. When I'm a 19 year old kid who was just doing worship with the youth department, the youth minister doesn't like me because he sees me as a remnant of the old regime. And the elders don't like me because I was writing personal blogs online on my own personal blog page and I was talking about the ministry I was doing. And they didn't like the light that I painted them in when talking about all the politics I'm seeing in the church. You know, they're pulling me into meetings on Sunday mornings. And like, you're, you're giving the church a bad, a bad image. You know, this kind of, you can't wash the dirty laundry in public. You can't talk about, you got to keep this stuff quiet. And I was like, um, because what's done in the dark will come to light. I mean, does anybody read the Bible in this place? And you were there for that.
1: They do, but they have their own interpretations and and people will just justify anything to themselves. And you know, I mean, since we're talking about, you know, that was your exit in the last ministry you were in with mine, there was already mentioned, it's a very traditional Baptist church and everything was done really to appease the older members of the church. And the pastor came to me one day, um, upset and really just saying, you know, do we have youth kids? I never see them Sunday morning. And I was right. like, yeah, you've actually got, I mean, in that little L shaped weird room, we're packing nearly a hundred kids in there on Wednesday nights and having a, a wonderful you know, time with God. You really ought to come see it sometime actually. But
0: you weren't doing the Baptist thing of taking role and keeping a head count and how many numbers were there every night so that they can go back and tally it
1: up. Well, his old concern was, You know, again, those older members here in the church, they ask, where are the youth kids? I don't, you know, they don't really see them. And, you know, that jeopardizes them possibly wanting to give their tithes and offerings to the church because they don't, old people like to see youth kids. And I had to calmly tell him that (laughs) the way that you do Sunday services are so predictable and and the, the spirit is so quenched. I mean, it I have a hard time sitting through there. I mean, it, it is so just dry. Dry and just like you're you're checking off points on what you've gotta to do to, to get the day done. And it I couldn't stand it. And I, I really <laughs> I couldn't really push for my youth kids to come on Sunday mornings and experience that because I couldn't believe in it. I I couldn't, I couldn't, I was there because I was supposed to be. Right. And I had tried pointing and pointing things out and making recommendations on how to make this better. I'd even said, Hey, let's have, you know, a youth Sunday where kids can, you know, come in and maybe do a skit or you know, the youth band can lead worship and and they didn't totally against it. And I'm like, you don't want to have these youth kids involved in any way. So why aren't you, how are you surprised when they're not coming?
0: Well, and also that pastor was former military.
1: Yeah. And so he wanted to just look
0: you in the eye and say, make the kids come, yeah get to it private and you snap, jump, run and go and do, you know, you've been issued your orders. Why aren't you fulfilling your orders? You know, that's what he was looking for.
1: Well, in the other...
0: Uh, I should say this, this was church too, where Philip went and I came in and I had to deal with this pastor at times also for the two years I was there as the, you know, as the worship leader.
1: It was really, Youth worship leader. at times, quite a struggle because that the building where, you know, the actual service was held, where all the pews were and everything, a and, and nice building, and, and it was treated as sacred. I mean, Absolutely. I didn't even have a key to the place. <laughs> and so yeah. I, they expected me, you know, because I would also do worship or give a message on, um, there's a, a school connected with this church as well. And so they would have chapel for the high school on Wednesdays. And being able to set up the sound or musical instruments for a service was a nightmare because it's hard to, you know, get access to a building when you don't have a key.
0: Well, and you had to go get the custodian. He would come with his ring of keys and don't get me wrong. The coast custodian was a nice guy. He really was. Um, I actually went to school with his daughter, but he would come with his ring of keys. He would unlock doors. He would get equipment out for you and only he could do anything. Um, you were not allowed to have a key. You were not allowed to go in and out of
1: rooms. It was, it was a lot of control. And I never understood why that control had to be there. I mean, you know, I get it. Okay. You don't want just a group of kids coming in here because they're going to spill a Coke or something on your precious carpet. But I mean, we're we're trying to, we're trying to do ministry. We're trying to, to operate in this space as it was intended. And you're just making it such a, an inconvenience and making things so much harder. And the worship leader of that church was really one of the worst in that regard on there was one day I was practicing with the band and he came in and he's stops us and starts trying to give us a a you know musical direction on how we should be playing and how you know oh the drums should come in here you should do and it was just very robotic right. much as the service goes you know their service he was also um, military he was and I mean, I don't want to just rag on all these people. I mean, I we both had our flaws back then too, but I just feel, like, you know, our hearts were pure in how we wanted to just really reach out to these kids and reach out to the people and all of the hindrances and the obstacles they made for us. I mean, well, you've seen you as a know kid. you know we had those days. Where we're just like, why do we do this? We did
0: several times. <laughs> well, do you remember a church one? The church we grew up at. We would show up for youth practice. This is Texas. It gets hot. Yep. And you're in a church, big building, it's stuffy. We would walk in, the first thing we do is turn on the ACs at 5 30. An hour and a half later, the adults all show up and the rooms cooled down to 70. And here they come. All the people that are, you know, deacons or whatever and responsible for something. Who turned the ACs on? Well, I turned the ACs on. Why would you turn on the ACs? Because we were in here practicing and it was hot, like we were sweating. It was ninety degrees plus in this building and humid as it could be. Well, do you understand what the church's power bill is? Do you understand how much that costs? Do you understand what an hour and a half of running the air conditioners is costing us? This, that, and the other. And then after a couple of weeks, they put those clear plastic boxes over the controls where you had to have a key to get to them. I hate those and, things. And you remember, oh. I was I was young, I was young. Here we go. And I would just get fed up and I broke them. I yeah. broke the plastic boxes off, boxes off, turn them on. And I, I, I mean, I had a real power trip because I was, I was young. You broke a lot of things in that church. I the, did. The man.
1: stage banisters. Uh, at
0: the request of somebody that we won't name. Well, um, my mother, <laughs> maybe, but, um, but no. So I, I had this real attitude of like, you know what? My family helped found this church. and My dad built this freaking building. He was the head of the building ministry. You know, most of the stuff like the sound booth and different walls and the kitchen and all my dad built himself. It's, it's like, I'm not listening to this dude who showed up five years later, who, you know, wants to be Mr. I'm in charge of running everything. Forget you. You know, if I want the ACs on, I'll turn the ACs on.
1: Your dad did build a lot of things in that church. He built so much. The stage, I didn't even realize it, but the, the sound booth that would slide in and out. Yeah. He built that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he built so much of that. But I, I had
0: a real attitude back then, and God, yeah, yeah. God had to, you know, yeah. fix it in me. Um, but I, I just, I mean, I, I would get so fed up with we're in here practicing for worship because we're going to be doing worship in here. We're going to be doing ministry in here again. We had this very pure heart of ministry. Um, we're going to be doing ministry in here, just like any other service in this church. Why is it whenever the adult worship band is practicing on Saturday night? They can turn on the ACs and run them for hours when there's nothing else happening in there that night, but just their practice. But we get here an hour and a half early before church would have been here. So the ACs were going to get turned on anyway, and you're ripping us for it.
1: Why? I just it makes no sense. I just can't, you know, putting myself in the shoes of one of the older members of the church, you know, the one that you're talking about, like it would be a joy to my heart that, Hey, you know, the younger kids, the up and coming generation, instead of doing all the other things that they could be doing outside, right. you know, they're choosing to practice worship music, to, to pray. And, you know, we would have devotionals before our, our sessions and whatnot. I mean, right? you would think they would be more excited and more just like, Hey, how can we help you anyway? You know, I don't know. They would just have maybe a little bit of gladness.
0: Yeah. It's almost like they saw us as a rivalry, like another church happening inside of their church building and like, Oh, well we can't let them be more popular. We got to hold them back. It's, I I didn't understand the mindset.
1: I think they just saw us as an inconvenience and liability. Dumb kids. Yeah.
0: We're running up the power bills where we might break something. Um, yeah. It, and sitting here now as a 35 year old where I've had Almost 20 years to mature and to look at it from a different light. And there's a lot of things from back then that I see in a different light and I understand where it's coming from. Of course. I still don't understand any of the mess that the deacons and elders of that church gave us. Do not understand. I, I had a day that I turned on Christian music. It was rock, but it was the rock version of Veggie Tales. And one of the elders came up to me and was like, you are embarrassing me. My parents are here today. You are going to turn that off right now. Screaming at me in, in the church. And I was in the sound booth. I was a sound man. And I, he was like, you're going to do the right thing. And I was like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like you're over here pissed and screaming and mad. And I don't understand why. This is the same stuff that your kids are listening to in the back. It's Veggie Tales Rock. Why can you this were, not you be were
1: playing POD, weren't you?
0: no it was VeggieTales rock but um, Skillet was doing a VeggieTales song oh. it was that album where they had a bunch of rock bands do the VeggieTales song and it was Skillet doing whatever song it was but it's like this is what your kids are listening to in the back why do you care if it's played in the church sanctuary after service while everybody's walking out and all that it's just background music and this guy lost his mind and to this day I'm still like nope can't find a reason why cannot justify it yet because I still try But these are the kind of political things that would just, man, wreck your heart, but wreck your spirit. You know, when you have business-minded people and just life-minded people that have any
1: hand at all in ministry. I remember, and I don't know if you actually know this story or not, but... um, you know, because we had about two or three different sound individuals. Um, right. You were doing it for a time. I was doing it for a time. But then there was also uh, an older, along with some of those founding members, an older individual who would occasionally lead worship, and he was very, loved only the old hymns, and kind of sang in this right opera, forced operatic voice. Um, he would occasionally run the sound. And I remember one time, he was doing something wrong during, during the service and somebody came over and, and suggested like, Hey, you know, let's, let's change this. Cause this speaker or something isn't working right. I can't remember what it was exactly. He got so mad and just, just said, out. I'm leaving. And he just, he slammed the door in the middle of the service. He slammed the door so loud. Everybody heard it. And then he just right. walked home and he lived like a mile away from the church, but he just walked yeah, not home. even a mile. And I'm just, you know, you think about all of the egos and the, just the pride and
0: well, and there was that other worship leader, not your mom or ours or anything like that, but he would walk around with a decibel meter. You're breaking 85 decibels, 85. I break 85 decibels with my car and it has a muffler. I mean, seriously, 85 decibels. Well, that's the, the, the brink of hearing damage. And we've got a lot of old people in here that, you know, we don't need to be damaging their hearing. They already have hearing aids. And I'm like, tell them to turn them down. What are you talking about? It's like 85 decibels. Like I I just, I mean, there is so many little nitpicky things that I didn't understand. Like, why can't you just come in here and be happy that ministry is happening? Because we, like we, um, I should say that we previously to this episode, we already recorded the, um, the next episode about worship. Yeah. And we were saying in that episode about how we had a time where we had, grown men from the church come up on stage after service and thank us for being loyal to God in this worship service. Cause the worship that morning was amazing. And we were in the band and it's like, you see moments like that where these men are thanking us and so happy because the worship was so incredible and blah, blah, blah. But just a year previous to that, they were writing us like horses in the Kentucky Derby to turn down the volume and don't turn on the air conditioners and this, that, and the, it wasn't until we, you know, proved ourselves as a worship band. to, Oh, now they deserve some level of respect. And yeah. you had to deal with this and we had to put up with this and we were trying to do honest to God ministry as selfless as we could. And if what's the proof of that? Philip was the youth minister, was our youth minister at the time. And he had the attitude of, if you're going to be in my worship band, because Philip saw it as I'm the youth pastor and I issue who the worship leader is. And they answer to me in my youth group. If you're going to be in my youth band, there is criteria you must meet in your personal life. You must be striving to be closer to God. You must be striving away from sin. You must be striving to truly bring the spirit in during worship. And you and I resonated with that. Yeah. And you and I really clung to that. And you and I adopted that as our ideology when we approached worship. And so we're coming with this real genuine heart and then just hitting
1: resistance from every freaking angle. But, you know, we also had you know band members that weren't hitting that criteria right and and at times we would have to call them out on it and at times they had to sit out for a time at times they left and never came back right and it and it really it's just you know thinking about that and then thinking about all of those those members that would just make things so difficult for us and would just have such a vile attitude and i'm just like man your heart is you're just you're just missing the target completely with this. Right. Your intention for coming to church, your you know they're just so off from it. It it's really heartbreaking because I don't even, you know, I'm thinking about that situation right now. Like after everything that, you know, 10, 15 years later, if I had to deal with that again, I don't know how I would respond. You know, I wouldn't as you get older, you don't have the 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 same kind of timidity as a as a younger kid. Oh, he's an adult. I have to do, you know, what they tell me or right. whatever, but I mean, there were times where we should have just thrown the tables over in there, at, you know, as Jesus did in in the temple. In a sense, I because there was just such a wrong attitude and and really just a a, a oppressed spirit at times. And right. I, that's, you know, well, and this was our family's
0: church. So this a lot of this was happening. I was 18, 19 years old. I'm an adult, legally. Yeah. I'm an adult. Our families go to this church. There were people who were going to my dad and like, you need to get your son in line. He was like, he's a grown man. You need to go talk to him like a grown man. Yeah. And they would come over there and I would just go toe to toe with them. Like, what are you going to do about it? I'm not some 12 year old kid that you, you know, like what you just said that I cower down because, oh, an adult's talking to me. Yeah. I was like, as soon as you can prove what I'm doing wrong and tell me what I'm doing wrong and it'd be legitimate to where the pastor would say, yeah, that's wrong. You know, and it's not just all in your head. Then we'll talk about me changing something. And that was just, you remember how many Sunday mornings that an elder would come find me an 18 year old member of the church, pull me into an unannounced meeting of the elders where everybody, but like your dad was there. your dad was the pastor, everybody, but him is there. And all the other elders have powwowed and, come up with we're going to lay down all these guidelines where Adam has to delete his blog posts and he has to do this and he has to do that and I would walk at that meeting and be like see you later (laughs) good luck any of that happening what are you going to do about it see you at church next week you know like and I dealt with this and again I dealt with it the wrong way a lot of the time Um, I dealt with it very aggressively
1: in a way you were honestly nailing the thesis to to the door and Martin Luther's 95 thesis Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exposing that. And I mean, the way that got under their skin because they were, they knew they were wrong. They were being called out on it. They would do a lot of things just against scripture and, and the guidelines for what Paul gives on how to, to run and operate a church, you know, Hey elders, come read this. That was one of your last ones that I loved. <laughs> right. Well, dude, I, I would, I would write a blog that was
0: innocent and in it's, and in it's initiation And then they would pull me into a secret meeting and tell me it had to come down because I mentioned something that they didn't appreciate being in public. It had to come down right now. So I would go back and write another blog exposing even more and saying I got called into a a secret meeting that the pastor didn't know about and who was one of the elders. It's like all the other elders but him because, you know, his son is friends with this kid. And it was just unheard of the anger. And they did the same thing to Philip, which is why Philip quit. Yeah. Two of those, two of those elders were cornering him and just making his life hell and telling him, you're not keeping enough hours. We need you to start keeping track of your hours. You need to write every minute of every five minutes, you need to write down what you're doing yeah. and to the point he was like, it's not even worth it anymore. I can't even do ministry because the handcuffs you're putting on me because these guys are control freaks. Yep. And we found out this is all just to talk about church politics. Just to keep this clear um j- just to talk about per- church politics these guys were so looking for control and trying to control the church trying to usurp your dad and take over as the pastor so much so that when your dad left four of them couldn't agree over who gets to teach so all four of them took rotations and you know at least two of them that were gunning for pastoral position and were doing everything they can to take it yeah and so i mean we saw this ridiculous like we don't like the pastor. I could do a better job. I'd be a better pastor. And so these elders were doing everything they can to take over the church. And we were catching a lot of the flack because we were doing stuff they didn't like. And for some reason, these guys couldn't handle the idea of something they didn't like happening inside the church, even though it's like, you don't own this place. Like you, you're just an elder. In other words, you're just an attendee who volunteered And was voted in by the congregation for a position of service, not authority. And that's, that was the big disconnect Yeah, was that elders and deacons is a service position. Yeah. And it was being treated as a position of authority. I don't know how many times I was told I'm an elder. You will do what I say. And I'd laugh at it. Like, yeah, go take
1: that to God and see how that balances out. Well, and you know, we can tell these stories and bash on, on all the situations and different stuff. And, and, you know, let me ask you an interesting question. Specifically, the the occurrences that, that we've been talking about years and years later, what, for your own actions, what would you have done differently and how do you think things should have been handled? Um, one thing, I, I would not have written blogs because who does that anymore,
0: you know? <laughs> um, MySpace. Yeah, this is like 17 years ago. Um, yeah, MySpace blogs, wow, man.
1: Well, and I, I asked this question because, yeah, perhaps in how you did it may or may not could have been handled better, but for what you were standing for and what you were pointing out was right and was in line with scripture. You know, I don't think... It, we're not called to just be sheep that sit aside and, and, you know, the Bible says when you have an issue with a brother, you, you confront them, them about it, you know, then you bring witnesses or you bring another individual and, and anyway, go ahead. Well, doing things
0: differently, I, I, again, I'm more mature now, 17 years, you know, I matured, go figure. I have a kid now. I don't have time for, you know, self-righteous pigheaded, you know, anger and aggression and just charge into it. And like, let's see you handle me. You know, I, I don't have that attitude anymore. And if I got put in the same situation now, it's, I think I would just sit there in the meeting and just listen to them run their mouths. And just when they were done with everything they had to say, I think I would just write down a couple of scriptures. Like you need to go and read these and you need to let me know how they strike you. And if they don't strike you in the right way, you need to step down as an elder. And I would just walk out. Because it's like, you need to go to God. And if you can't honestly see the flaws in your behavior, that's sad. And I know that people are self-righteous and I've been self-righteous, but I'm, you, you know, the behavior, man, you know what it was like, you know, the anger, the, the, there was a goal. They were trying to achieve something. They were trying to literally, I mean, I don't say this figuratively. They were literally trying to take over the church. They were trying to usurp the pastor you know and i remember when they brought these trumped up charges to your dad like oh you did this and this and this and this and you failed as a pastor and yeah you know, we need you to
1: leave and well you know and it's it's funny that you say that because i mean i agree with with how you would handle it the things that you're saying and you know the scripture that we referenced about um, going to that brother and and being upfront with them about it having somebody with you and then what's the last part of that? Cast them out from the church. Right. We didn't—the I, the older I've gotten, I've realized that, you know, there's people that can have issues that can be, can be corrected and forgiveness can happen, correction, you know. But then there's people that have their own agenda, and there's people that are so destructive that— you, you, as a last resort, you do have to cast, you have to tell them to leave.
0: Well, it's people who have a hard heart. Yeah. It's people are so callous that the Holy Spirit couldn't affect them if it tried.
1: Yeah. They can sit through the And most... that is a cancer to a church. Oh, it is. It
0: kills churches. I mean, it is literally the rotten apple that will. And you and I have watched churches die. Absolutely. So, but now I'll tell you what, moving out of this, cause I feel like we've been in this hole for a while. Um, let's move into, into this. So when I left ministry, I was heartbroken. i had been stabbed in the back by my pastor. I had a history of churches, you know, turning on me, but the church that I'd served at, um, my pastor turned on me. He took away my Sunday school lessons and gave them to one of my seventh graders moms, because she didn't like the way I taught and thought that my teaching was too mature and aimed at the high school kids and not her seventh grader. It was afraid mm-hmm. her seventh grader wasn't going to learn anything. So she needs to teach my Sunday school class, including the high school kids, because I was incapable. I oh, spoke too man. maturely. And so he took it away from me and gave, cause you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil in a church, you know, anything to not offend a, that's uh, good. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. Huh. Anything to not offend a non-staff member, staff members, pff, throw yeah. them to, throw them to the wolves, man. But non-staff members, oh, those are the people that would go and talk about the, you know, problems and spread rumors, and you know, you got to keep them happy. So he, and then I talked about this situation with my contract, where he's trying to tell me, oh, you're not filling all your hours, but you know, I'd never signed a second contract, and he was making stuff up. And uh, I said I'd get back to that. I found out later that I was a temporary hire. The youth minister that had been there before me was a person he wanted. And that guy left to go to college or go finish college. And he was doing like two years at some whatever college. And whenever he was done with college, he was coming back. And if I was still there, I was going to get cut. Like no matter what, that position was reserved for him. I was just a spot filler. Did you know that from the beginning? I did not know that. I found out a couple months later. And my secretary who I said was in on it because she was like, oh, I can't find your new contract, but here's your old one, was his um, soon-to-be mother-in-law. Hmm. And he came back and married her daughter and they moved into the church parsonage and he became the youth pastor and this whole thing played out. And I did not know that there was this greater plan happening behind my back. And when I found that out a couple months later, that was just one more knife in my back. And here's the issue. The knives in my back that are the deepest implanted and twisted, the hardest all came from Christians, Yeah, which is going back to, our topic, surviving service, service in the church, serving in the church, those deeper, harder twisted knives are the reason that when I left ministry, I was heartbroken. Yeah. And when I say heartbroken, I mean, like I said earlier, I call I called this other church where it was a church that you and I had done some worship with. Um, while we were at church to, before I went to, you know, be a full-time youth pastor, you know, we'd, back and forth in and out because our buddy Chris was there playing drums and they needed a lot of um, musicians. And so I came in as a worship leader. You came in as a worship player. I came in as a bass player. You came in as a guitar player. Like we were in and out in a lot of roles. And so I called that pastor and I said, man, I just, I just left this. I just told him everything. Cause that pastor was, it was a really good guy, you know, Dr. Rum." Oh yeah. Um, and so, um, I just called him and I said, hey, you know, this is everything that just happened. And I just spilled it. And I was like, do you have a spot where I can just come be a part of worship? My my soul needs it. I'm so dry. I got nothing out of this church. I had a pastor, which there, there's a whole other story in itself, the way I was lied to at this church. But I'll, just to make it quick, um, I hired in as the worship leader slash youth pastor. As soon as I got there, I found out that the pastor was the worship leader, the hiring committee, didn't know that he had no interest in giving it up. He only did hymns. He gave me one song every Sunday. Then he had somebody else picking my music for me. And then he just had me doing nothing. And I just surrendered. My heart for worship was broken while I was there because of all that. And so then my heart for ministry was broken here at the end because of how badly I was being stabbed in the back. And so I, I tell all this to this pastor. I was like, I just, I need worship. I've been so dry for worship for so long. Can I just come lead worship? Can I just come be a part? I'll play bass. I'll play draw. I'll play congas. But whatever you need. Can I just come participate? Because I can't worship if I'm not in the band somehow, because after so much time of being a worship leader, being out in the congregation where uh, what the spirit, what the Holy spirit is leading me to do has absolutely no effect on the worship. Um, it, it feels odd. It feels yeah. absent. And it it's not a pride thing. And it's not, a, I need to be on stage. It's a, there's a difference between being on stage with the Holy spirit and off stage with the Holy spirit and on stage, it's so much more powerful and that's what I needed. Yeah. And so he said, absolutely come lead, come, you know, just come lead. And I, I led for four, four months, three and a half months. Um, until this other guy who was the head of worship, um, came in and I'm getting rid of the band and, you know, we talk about this in worship, but, um, I'm getting rid of the band. You're going to be one of the singers. And that was so alien and so wrong. And it wasn't what my soul needed. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I did one week with them. I'm done. I left. And that, because I found this little, this little safe space to, to, to lead worship. And there at the very end was just one more knife in the back. And it wasn't even my back. It was the Holy spirit's back. It was like, we're going to strip away everything and sing off CDs and completely cuff the holy spirit's hands and his ability to move and lead a worship leader and it's all about the the smiling faces and the playing to the crowd so they feel happy and i was like what a knife in god's back that you would smile on his stage while claiming to lead worship to him and yet your focus is on making sure everybody's having a good sunday and not him What a knife in the back and so i left heartbroken and hurt. And at first I was saying I'm okay, but then I got out into the, I got out into the real world and I realized I'm not okay. Not only am I not okay, I hate them. Yeah. There was hate in me for not, not even for the ones that hurt me, but for all, if I got too close to anybody at church, if anybody was like, good morning, brother, how you doing? I, in my head, I was like, I'm not your brother. Yeah. You're not my brother and you will never be my brother because you don't deserve, I can't trust you. You're on guard. Yeah, I, yeah. The trust issues that came out of it, man. Just insane. I mean, I don't know what that was
1: like for you. I, very very similar. I just wasn't able to walk through the doors of a church and everything would just have a sour taste in my mouth. You right. know, just... Seeing, (laughs) seeing the layout of how everything was done where, you know, it was just so predictable in the sense of they're, they're confined into the same box that I was and look what happened to the church that I was in, you know, this is, this church probably has the exact same issues and, and just, I almost felt like the whole structure and the whole way that we do church in America was just, just so flawed and you know it took years for me to heal from that and it 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 really a lot of it was developing the grace to understand that's that's how church is because it's it's individuals like you and me and i mean paul <laughs> paul was dealing with things similar and and even much worse right you know i mean he spent the majority of his time having to correct different churches that have started doing things, you know? I mean, and it's just you give it to a group of people and they're going to screw it up. Right. At the end of the day, we will all make mistakes and screw things up. But I there's a difference when you have a heart that can be broken down and you can humble yourself and come before the Lord and say, "Hey, I'm I don't have anything. I I, you know, I can't do this anymore. You take it from me. You, you know, make something of this. Having that kind of humility versus it's my way versus the highway. You know, we have to do it this way and, and not having any kind of just availability to actually let God move and God speak because he will come and disrupt your routine. Right. You know, And people just get comfortable with control and people get, you know, complacent with routine. And how many times did you and I hear like,
0: how do we get the numbers up? Everything's on the table. How do we fix it? How do we get more people in the seats? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite stories that came out of um, me leaving ministry and when I left ministry, let me say this also, I left ministry having learned a lot of things like being single while you do ministry is really hard. And when I left ministry, I told God, I'll never go back to ministry until I'm married because I was trying to date just like a single guy. Yeah. And not only was I trying to date, but I was having girls approach me that I wasn't even interested in, but they were approaching me aggressively because historically guys in their life liked it, uh, you know, liked an aggressive girl. And I was like, mm, I can't play this game with you. I'm a youth pastor. You know what I mean? I got to set an example for my kids. Yeah. And so that was really hard. But one, one of my favorite stories that came out of this part of my life was um, I took a job working at a warehouse after that. Um, and I was just at work one day and stress had got me and I was angry and it just been just a whole day of crap and everything finally peaked and I was pissed off and something happened. I was like, you know what, dude? And I just, and I, and I cussed, I cussed. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. I I cussed. And as soon as it left my lips, I remember the terror that shot over my body of I just cussed and it was public. Everyone heard it and I was terrified and I looked around and nobody cared because it wasn't a church. Yeah. And I found comfort, although it's probably, I mean, it's not right. I found comfort in a better place to heal from the, the, what, the what I saw as what the Christians did to me in a group of atheists yeah. who didn't care that I cussed. They didn't care if I cuss, they didn't care if I, if I did anything, I could have walked through, you know, the warehouse naked. Nobody would have cared. I could have been having sex in the corner. Nobody cared. Like I could have been doing all of these things that you, that our whole lives, we were like terrified to do like, Oh, you can't do that because you know, that's not what a a Christian does. You know, that's not what Paul wrote. That's not what Timothy said is you don't do these things and you do everything you can to just white knuckle your behavior and keep it together. And I, I let, I lashed out in a moment and I lost control. And nobody cared. And there was no judgment. There was no jury waiting to, to weigh the evidence and convict me. I, dude, I, that was where the hate for Christians really swelled up in me. And I walked in that for a decade, almost. Um, in 2017, so that was in 2010 that I left the church. In 2017, when we started the Crosscast podcast, Philip and I, I was still dealing with this. Still having horrible church attendance, still, and I still am today, honestly, 10 years later, still dealing with it, still dealing with trust issues. And you were too at one point, and you and I were on the phone one day, two years ago, a year ago, and you were telling me about this new church you found and what this pastor told to you. And I was like, wow, I bet that's amazing. You want to talk about like what happened when you met your new pastor and all?
1: Yeah. Um, it's church in Austin that we had gone to off and on for a couple of years. And then finally we became members of it. And we we d- decided to become members. And so they actually had, um, you know, you had to come do, it was probably like a three or four hour, just like class. Okay. Right. Which already I was like, why do we need to do a class? You know? And I was, I honestly didn't want to go. And my wife, Megan was says no we need to we need to do this i want to become members at a church and so you know i came in there with already a kind of bitter angry spirit but we met with with I get teacher but just somebody that just laid out everything about the church the structure of it how things operate fully open about their finances and they were really coming at it from a point of you know with all of the corruption and things that can happen in church nowadays, we want to be completely open with our members and, and just lay out exactly how they operate, how they handle when issues come up. And it was amazing. It was, it was probably the best illustration of how Paul, you know, gives the guidelines for a church that I've, I've ever seen. And then actually right. there was a couple of the elders that, um, came in about midway through and I could literally just the spirit of these there's two two older men the spirit of these men I just longed for. I instantly felt a comfort and and a respect. Right. And the pastor was there too and I'm I, it was just an illustration of oh this is this is actually how this is supposed to be. And it was funny because I actually opened up and you know there's probably about a 10 of us that were becoming members and there was a pastor and the two elders. I actually opened up about my bitterness and my pain that I had been holding with everything I went through with my previous churches and you know they were just like you you need a season to heal. You need to, you know, come in and just be a partaker of don't have to worry about the service aspect and this and that. Right. The pastor told me that, you know, you don't really know what it's like to just go to church and not be involved in the church. And he was exactly right. I had to take time to relearn in a sense and understand the purpose of church, not as somebody that's playing drums or guitar, not as somebody that's, this and that, but just somebody that comes there because they need it. They need they need that that escape. They need that reconnection, that recharge spiritually. There's something about when you're in a group of other believers, you know, in in whatever state you're in—joyful, broken, you know, having the worst day of your life—but when you're all there together, fellowshipping, you know, leaning on one another and and just building up one another. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the scriptures say that the vital role of us building up each other, because we're Christians, Satan comes hard after us as far as the attacks and trying to, to, you know, just tear us apart and just get us to the end of our rope. And I don't, there's no way you can continue going on without that recharge. Right. Because I think what happens is when you get to that point and you're not I hate hate to keep using the, the you know general term recharge, but when you're not pouring into yourself or even letting right. others pour into you.
0: Well, as iron sharpens iron.
1: Exit yeah, thank you. You will become apathetic you will become lax just lackadaisical and and complacent and just really it's not that you you know are are angry and hateful towards towards the church and towards you know god it it's just an indifference and indifference is almost even worse at times
0: you see and when you told me that story when we were on the phone one day i what was it two years ago or how long ago
1: was it yeah, it was two or three years ago.
0: It was a couple of years ago when you told me that story. I remember thinking, because you're telling me about this pastor who's telling you that like, he's listening to your story, and instead of saying, oh, well, you know, you'll find that here at this church. I'd love to encourage you. I'd love to be your pastor. He's saying, brother, you need to heal. Yeah. You know what? I don't want you involved. I don't want you involved. I don't want you doing something, you know, cause I, I I don't need to plug you in. You need to plug in and you need to just take, don't give, just take. And it was so foreign to everything that you and I had done historically, which is everything that I know. Um, because we had all these small churches call calling saying, Hey, we need a bass player. We need a guitar player. Can y'all come and do it? You know, hey, you're recommended. Um, Hey, can you guys come lead worship this night? Hey, can you come teach over here? And our time in ministry was a hurricane of church appearances and go here, go there. I mean, for a time I was touring with um a few worship bands going all over Texas and in some other states. And yeah, I remember that doing all kinds of um youth camps and all kinds of stuff. I was doing so much all at the same time, all on top of each other. It's all I knew. And I didn't know that just like what you said, I didn't know it was running my batteries out. Yeah. To when I got to the end of my ministry and left, I was dead spiritually. I was dead. I had nothing left to give. All I had was a broken heart and hatred, just raw anger and hatred for these people. And then you're telling me about this pastor, Who's telling you, you need to heal. And man, I got to tell you, since you and I had that conversation, I don't know how many times it's come across me that we need to go to church number one, where we grew up and reconcile things with who, whoever's left.
1: Yeah. I haven't done it yet, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Who's there that we could reconcile with, but,
0: um, well, the pastor is one of the people that was one of the elders that we had so many issues with. He's now the pastor. Yeah, and I've thought about that so many times. Like, could like I know he would receive us with a smile, but would it be would it be genuine if we went there honestly, looking to um to patch things up? Would he count that as a victory in his box, or would he see it as just yeah, we don't need boxing gloves here, and let's really heal this for the sake of Christ and that we're all brothers? You know, and and, and I've I thought think, about these I think things. he would.
1: Yeah, and I mean. You know, it's funny. I was just talking about this with my wife with everything going on in the world right now. And, and I, I really think 2020 is God has been shaking and stirring the church. Right. And, and we as Christians, have, I mean, especially in America, I mean, America probably has some of the just laziest and, and most comfortable Christians than um, the rest of the world. Now, tell but, me how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's true, you know? Um, oh, I just lost a point. Which uh, is why so oh, many, okay. sorry,
0: which is why so many pastors constantly attribute the church of Laodicea to America.
1: Yeah, exactly. Lukewarm. And, um, the past couple of years, as I was talking with my wife and all of those kinds of, of, individuals that you have resentment with individuals that there's, there's some things that never got addressed, never got reconciled how important it is to address those, you know? And I'm right. honestly, I think as the years have gone by and maturity has come, it's not even about who was right or wrong anymore. It's about seeing right. them as a brother and sister in Christ and just saying, you know, I'm sorry. I I ask need your forgiveness. You know, I sh- I should have instead of wanting to just you know take jabs at you, should have been giving you encouragement. Couldn't have been giving you words to build you up.
0: Well, and trying to see it from their side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, that's the whole thing. for For reconciliation to happen, you do have to look in the mirror. And you have a to, lot. yeah. And instead of just thinking, oh, I'm the victim here. They did this to me. You know, you're wrong. You're, you know, you did this against the word of God and your heart's in the wrong place and all that kind of stuff. We all need grace at the end of the day. You know, right. I mean.
0: And what's funny is, um, Philip and I had a falling out once and after a couple of months and in that couple of months, we, uh, we all went to a concert we had tickets for and his seats were right in front of me. And we hadn't talked. And so he's sitting right in front of me and I'm like, Hey man, what's up to him and his wife who I've spent, yeah, I've slept in his house, you know, like we've spent some real time together and they wouldn't even really talk to me and say, Oh, Hey, what's going on? Because he and I had this huge falling out. What concert was that? I want to say it was Creed on the, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. On the newest, what the, uh, what the newest album? Full circle. Is that the last album? Something like that. Yeah. Anyways, the one that has overcome on it. Anyways, Yeah. yeah, that concert. So, um, and this is in 2009. So I remember this weird tension and suddenly we weren't talking on the phone and, you know, I, I was off at my other church, you know, and he was back at church too. And so we didn't have to deal with each other. And we all ended up at a, um, at a youth minister thing and man, I'd had enough of it. And I went to him and I was like, let's have dinner tonight. And he was like, okay. Like you could tell he was kind of coming with his guns loaded. <laughs> like, you know, like you're not going to corner me. And we got there. And I was like, dude, you know what? I'm sorry. Yeah. Everything. I did everything. It's all my fault. I'll take all of it. I don't care. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this tension. And thinking about that, that is the only time in my life I've ever gone to another Christian. Well, maybe not the only time, but the only time that was meaningful to me that I went to another Christian and said, you know what? I screwed up. There's there's mess between us. There's sin between us. And I need this gone. I need this gone. And I mean, there's a part of me that's always felt like, you know, Philip was like, ha ha, I won this one. You know, and I I give a mess about a jab at him, but you know, in the end we have over 20 years of friendship and it just wasn't worth sacrificing like that. And in talking about this thing that you're talking about, when you're telling me about this pastor and you need to heal and, this and the other that was my first thought was like you know what philip and i couldn't heal until we talked about it until we ended up at this dinner sitting at this steakhouse in freaking dallas talking about it and and it sucked you were there you were at the table with me yeah it was uncomfortable it was like i said phil came you know guns loaded and ready to blaze and I had no idea what this conversation was going to be like. And, you know, was, like I said, I hadn't really done this before. I've pretty much always stood on the grounds of I'm right and they need to get you know past it because I'm this great Christian. I can take the Bible and I can prove myself right. And I'll tell you what, if you're that kind of person, if you're the kind of person that can take the Bible to prove your point, mm. you know what, just there's probably other parts of the Bible that can tear your point apart. So, you know, like we were saying a minute ago, look at it from other people's point of view. What are they seeing? What are they trying to achieve? Because he was seeing something different than what I was seeing. And you know, the thing that I was seeing ended up stabbing me in the back anyway. And man, I got to tell you, like the reconciliation there is more meaningful than all the fights that I've talked about tonight all the anger and all the elders and all the pastors and all the junk that I towed around with me. It's my emotional church baggage um, is that one night of reconciliation is more important and served me better in my life than all this baggage.
1: You know, it's funny on the way here coming from Austin, uh, wife and I were listening to a message um, by a pastor named Robert Madu. He's out of Dallas, I believe. And um, the whole, the message was about, the balance between grace and truth because they, they both have to, you can't have just solely one and not the other, because when you're a hundred percent truth, you know, you're going to be that kind of just Bible beating individual that, that really can, can do a lot of damage. You know, it's like, it's like those, and I see it in Austin all the time whenever there's a, a kind of a, You know, let's say the gay pride festival or something going on. Right there will be groups of people holding signs that say, you know, uh, uh, repent or burn in hell. You know, you gays or something like that. Right, and just straight up
0: Westboro Baptist type stuff. Kind of, yeah. yeah.
1: And you know, there's 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 truth in what they're saying. Of course, it's true. You know, Bible's clear about it. But that's not the way to do it. You've got to have grace about it. Well, and and
0: you, you have to understand that God loves the sinner, although he hates the sin and you can be gay and go to heaven. I mean, it's really no different than a pastor cheating on his wife just because he was cheating on his wife. It's still sexual sin. Yeah. But sin is sin.
1: I mean, sin's equal. Yeah. Dirty rags. Just because your sin is different than mine. I mean, doesn't give me the right to just have different kind of judgment and look at you differently. Right.
0: So... Man, I, I would like to say now, you know, like 10 years later, I I mean, I'd like to say you and I have finally survived service. And by saying survive service, that we've actually come full circle to where we not only survived it, but have either began or have healed from it Yeah. to where our spirit isn't held down anymore. Because I can tell you mine was held down. Yeah. My church attendance dropped off. I had friends that were saying, man, when you come back to church, and honestly, it would just piss me off every time they would ask me. I'd be like, mm, it's going to be another week now that you ask me again, it's going to be one more, you know, just, I I needed them to understand like, dude, there's healing that hasn't happened. And because there's healing that hasn't happened, there's trust that has not been regained. And I can't see quote unquote, those people as loving. And I can't see those people as trustworthy. And I can't see those people as anybody I want in my life. And I had to heal from that. And I'm still healing from that. There's still times if I walk into church right now, I am far more open and I am far more um, receiving to the, the hellos and the handshakes and the highs, even though COVID has us not handshaking <laughs> anything anymore. Um, but I'm far Speaking more... well rece- you're not wearing a mask currently. Yeah, it's okay. I, I own the place. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but so I, I'm far more receptive to it now, but I'm not 100%, but I'm to the point that I can finally say, yeah, God's finally done the work that I've been waiting to come to completion. And I was what was standing in the way, honestly. So with all of that said, I mean, I guess we're coming to an end here. I'll give you the final word.
1: Well, after going through all of that, you know, the one thing I, I, I hold true to. So, I mean, just, I want it to be my core, be my foundation is that God works all things out you know and that's everything the pain that you and I went through in ministry the the good and the bad um, all of those things that we endured God is using it to bring something beautiful and I even now you know I lately I've been feeling a stirring to get back involved in, in a ministry at some you know facet Right. And I feel like now with, with having gone through and it took years, what I've been through, I would be a completely person, a completely different person. You know, when those things come back up again, um, the grace that I would handle it with and, 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 um, I would be much more effective now than I, I was then. And, um, you know the things right. that that churches just get stressed out about, and the things that they have to have meetings about. I, I wouldn't be approaching it with the anger like I used to do. You know, instead I would try to just really meet down at that person's level and and solve it together, and instead of just coming at them, being with them, right? You know, giving that guidance, giving that shoulder, instead of just harsh correction and and such but um, saying if
0: if this is hindering your spirit then
1: let me help. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean that's that's what Jesus did. Right.
0: Okay. Well, with all that, thanks for listening.
1: Have a good one.